video game news and video game music. This is Progress Bar. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Anthony Shelton. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Hope it was relaxing for you. You can join the chat at Spreaker.com. That's where we're live at. Just register an account. It only takes a moment. And you can join the chat. Also, speakpipe.com slash progress bar. Leave a voicemail. Tell me about your gaming endeavors, anything about the news. Give me something to react to. You can also hit me up on Skype. Send me a message. And if I like what you have to say, send me a brief message. Please don't send me a long message. Send me a brief message. If I like what you have to say, I will put you on air so we can have a quick discussion. Really looking forward to today's topics. If you can't tell by the title, we'll be talking about these steam machines. Elzora, welcome to the chat. Thanks for joining. So some more news came about came uh came up about these steam machines. And if you don't know what the steam machines are, they are basically pre-built PCs that are designed to plug and play for gamers. They're supposed to act like consoles like an Xbox One, a Wii U or a PS4 or something like that. And they're designed to, you know, get around the whole, hey, I'm scared of building PCs, so let me just buy a PC. And it also comes with a Linux-based operating system called Steam OS. So there's some more news that came up about them. And, you know, we were talking about Steam Machines last week and trying to figure out who the audience was for because these Steam Machines come out and for a lot of people who use Steam, the storefront of Valve, where you can buy a whole bunch of games and they have sales all the time and stuff, most of those people already have a PC. So Valve coming out with these Steam Machines, these pre-built PCs designed to be in your living room. You can use a controller. It could hook up to your TV, which a regular PC could do. A regular desktop PC, even a laptop, all all of those can do that. So it was like, who in the world are these Steam Machines actually for? I figured there are one of two people. They're for people who don't have a PC at all and are interested in the idea of using a PC. They like the idea of having better graphics, faster frame rate, things like that, more power. They just like the idea of more power. And they want that in their living room. They don't want to build a PC. All of that scares them. So they just want something that could come right out of the box. You could plug and play. You could go. You're good. Of course... That has a whole bunch of problems, though. Because some games may not work with the specific type of Steam machine you bought. Its hardware might be too weak for current games. So there's all of that problem. So that complicates who the Steam machine is for. And then it also could be for a person who has a PC, but maybe wants an upgrade, but doesn't want to deal with building another PC or replacing the parts that are already in the PC that they have. Or perhaps they have a PC that they play games on and they can't replace the parts by buying some off a new egg or something, and so they have to buy a new PC anyway. Say you have a Hewlett Packard, right? An HP, uh, a Lenovo, something like that. 
you can't customize those all the time because the way the, the, the PC case is too small, certain parts that are stronger are bigger so they won't fit, all that kind of stuff. Lots of complications. Don't want to deal with that. You could buy a steam machine. Boom. You're set to go. You could have something stronger, more powerful than what you already have. The problem is most people who play on PC already have one. So that already complicates the idea of buying a steam machine. But to make matters worse... There's an article on Ars Technica talking about the performance level of Steam OS, which is the Linux-based operating system that powers these Steam machines. Consider it Windows for the Steam machines. And basically, Ars Technica does a benchmarking test between the power of Steam OS and Windows 10. And it turns out SteamOS doesn't really perform all that well compared to Windows 10. Turns out the frame rate drops in a lot of the ports. And what also complicates this is they were trying to figure out, try to find a game that they could use that was a little more current and powerful, had strong graphics. You know, something like just the idea of maybe a Battlefront or maybe a... uh, a frostbite engine game that usually looks really good, has a lot of physics within it, a lot of effects, something like that. So they decided on Shadow of Mordor and Metro Last Light Redux because those games had a port for Linux. So they settled on those and they tried them and Windows 10 outperformed Steam OS in every way. Now, they were using computers that were comparable, but at the end of the day, SteamOS just didn't perform nearly as well as Windows 10. So they were like, okay, well, maybe let's try some Valve games, because, you know, it is Valve's operating system. They created it. They want it to do well. Let's try some of Valve games. So they tried Team Fortress 2, Portal, and Dota 2. And those games didn't perform well either compared to Windows 10. Valve's own games didn't perform well. So I have a hard time understanding at this point, what's the reason to get a Steam machine? The audience is convoluted. And Linux or SteamOS doesn't perform as well on Windows 10. Not only that, Linux just as an operating system as a whole, we're not even talking about Valve's version of Linux, SteamOS. Just Linux as a whole isn't widely adopted. Not a whole bunch of people have Linux. So for developers to port games like Shadow of Mordor or Metro Last Light Redux, what's the point? There's no Black Ops 3 on Linux. Bethesda hasn't ported Fallout 4 to Linux. Why? Because the adoption rate is low. Not a whole bunch of people have Linux. So why waste the resources to port a game to an operating system a whole bunch of people don't have? It's like the Wii U. A lot of people don't have one. 
So why is EA or Activision or Ubisoft going to create worse versions of their games compared to the Xbox One and PS4 and they have to adopt something for the gamepad and then a whole bunch of people aren't going to buy it anyway because everybody's buying it on the Xbox One and PS4 regardless. So really, what's the point of releasing the Steam Machine? What's the point of getting a Steam Machine? If you have a reason, hit me up. You can leave a voicemail, speakpipe.com slash progress bar. You could also hit me up on Skype, progress bar radio. Leave me a message. If I like what you have to say, I'll put you on air. But I just don't see a reason at this point to get a Steam Machine. Here's... Another thing we'll talk about coming up after this song is the problem with the way Valve releases their products. It doesn't help them. It just makes matters worse. So if you got a reason to get a Steam Machine, please let me know because I don't have one at this moment. This song is called The Science Wizard Explodatorium. It's by Jake Kaufman. You can find it on the Strike the Earth Shovel Knight Arranged soundtrack, which is available on Bandcamp. You're listening to Progress Bar.
That is the Science Wizard Explodatorium by Jake Kaufman. You can find that on the Shovel Knight Strike the Earth Arranged soundtrack, which is available on Bandcamp. This is Progress Bar Radio. My name is Anthony Shelton. We're talking about these steam machines. And I just don't see a point to get them anymore. At first, I thought I had some justification. I think Valve has a very, very small audience. But now it comes out, SteamOS doesn't even perform as well as Windows 10, which if you already have a PC, it's free for the first year. If you just go and download it, it's free right now. And you could already have a better operating system than what comes on the Steam machine. So what's the point? I feel like Valve has shot themselves in the foot with this. Because they're suffering from the same problem that they have with other things that they've released. And it's not quite ready for public consumption. Steam Greenlight. The curated, the user curated storefront where people can vote for games And then they'll appear on Steam if there's enough votes once the game is finished. When that launched, total mess. Paid mods with Skyrim in collaboration with Bethesda. That launched absolutely terrible. Steam Greenlight, it's come around. It's become something that kind of works. It's functional at least at this point. Paid mods with Skyrim and the future of paid mods for you know third-party games outside of what Valve creates because Team Fortress 2 also has paid modifications, though it comes in the form of lesser stuff like cosmetic items like hats, caps, things like that. They were trying to do it in conjunction with a third-party developer like Bethesda. Crash and burned. They're working something out. Nothing's come to fruition yet. And Valve has done other things like this too, where they put something out there, they're kind of testing the waters, and it doesn't go off so well. Other things they have, like the ability to stream the games that you're playing, the ability to share games, your games library with people, that's come out and worked pretty well out of the gate. But then you have something like these Steam Machines... And you expect that to work out the gate. Gabe Newell, the head of Valve, is talking about, oh, we're trying to change the game with this. Paraphrasing, but basically that's what they're trying to do. They're not necessarily trying to kill consoles, but they're basically trying to invade the console space with the idea of these Steam machines. Mainstream public doesn't know about them. It's not like you see them sitting on store shelves next to Xbox Ones and PS4s at Target and Best Buy. It's just these steam machines and people should buy them because they're more powerful than consoles and you can customize them and things like that. So what's the point? They're shooting themselves in the foot. They should have had this ready to go. Steam OS should have been like, dang, like this is even better than Windows 10 or at least comparable, but it's not even that. It's sad. You know, they're putting a lot of money into this. And it's not like something like Steam Greenlight or Paid Mods or something like that where you could kind of go back and tweak it. 
this is a, a, a lot of money going into this. And Valve didn't even have it really ready to go. And they don't really have a lot of reasons for people to buy one. Probably one of the worst moves Valve has done at this point. The only thing that could save Valve at this point is releasing Half-Life 3. Exclusive to a Steam machine. (laughs) That's about it. Alright, walk with me a little bit. Let's just say... You go to In-N-Out. You really enjoy In-N-Out. You've heard of it. Maybe you've heard of it, but haven't necessarily tried it. But you know what In-N-Out is. You know, it's a, it's a burger restaurant. Kind of got that old school kind of dine-in, drive-in type of thing. You know about In-N-Out. And let's just say they announce some changes. They say, hey, you know what? Kind of struggling right now. We're going to, we're getting bought out by another company. And they get bought out by that other company who doesn't really do that well. That parent company struggles a little bit. So they decide to fold and they decide to sell the In-N-Out brand and the In-N-Out chains. So another company decides, well, In-N-Out, like people know about them. It's especially popular in California. It's kind of spread in uh, to Arizona there's actually one in Austin. So people know about In-N-Out. Not everybody. But, you know, I think we could do something. So X company buys In-N-Out. They see some They see some promise in the brand. But then they start making some changes to it. Because they want to put their own stamp on what In-N-Out should be. It, it keeps the general, the core premise of it being a burger joint that has that old school drive-in style, you know, with the special hats and the white shirts and the and the red aprons and things like that with the, the big pins in the back. They got all that down. But they started making, you know, the secret menu isn't so secret anymore. They put it all out there. The burgers get a little bigger. The fries just a, a little bit greasier. It's still in and out. It still tastes good. The kind of flavors generally stay the same. But... You notice there's some changes. They even start handing out coupons for people to bring into the restaurant. It's like coupons. We've never had coupons before. Things just change. I mean, would you continue eating at In-N-Out? And if you've never had In-N-Out, imagine this happened with one of your other favorite restaurants. Maybe Waffle House or... Crate and Barrel or, you know, some store or something you go to where things just change. I mean, would you continue to shop there or to eat there? Because that's what's happening with Homefront Revolution. Basically, they got bought out. THQ, the original maker of Homefront, got bought out. Crytek bought them. Crytek didn't do so well. Crytek sells the Homefront brand. Deep Silver decides to buy it. And now Dan Buster Studios, a new studio, is now developing it. And they got some experience. They used to be Crytek UK, who used to be Free Radical, who made Time Splitters and Time Splitters Future Perfect and Second Sight. And some of those guys worked on the original GoldenEye. And those games were successful. But then you had Haze, 
which was a critical flop. And granted, that was a critical flop for a lot of reasons, but kind of doesn't matter. It was still a critical flop. Jaeger says, kind of like how California sold out to rich liberals. I believe he's from Oregon, so he has a very different perspective. But, (laughs) either way, Homefront has been bought out by somebody else, and now, basically they're saying, it's not going to be the Homefront that you knew. A quote from narrative designer C.J. Kirshner says, Dan Buster is making its own unique mark on the name of Homefront. So anything that you remember or know about the first game, forget it now. It's not a continuation of the story or that style of gameplay. There's a reason we don't call it Homefront 2. So they're basically telling fans, hey, look, if you like Homefront, we're bringing Homefront. We're bringing the core of what Homefront is, this kind of guerrilla style combat with an American versus a whole bunch of other people because we really like that story and we really like that concept. But everything you've known about it, gameplay-wise and all of that, it's gone. It's changed. I mean, would you be confident in a group of experienced devs the very first time, very first studio under a new publisher taking over a brand that you liked? Let me know. Speakpipe.com slash progress bar. Skype progress bar radio. Leave me a message. Let me know what you think. I'll put you on air. Got another song. The song is called Hideout Helm. It's by Grant Kirkhope. Find it on the Donkey Kong 64 original soundtrack, which is available on Amazon. Would you be confident in a group? Think about think about it if it was your a game that you liked. Would you would you like that? You're listening to Progress Bar.
That is Hideout Helm by Grant Kirkhope. You can find that on the Donkey Kong 64 soundtrack, which is available on Amazon.com. So I asked a question before the break. Would you be confident in a group of experienced devs having a first-time studio under a whole different publisher taking over a brand that you like? Because that's what's happening with Homefront. Deep Silver is the publisher. Dan Buster Studios, which is owned by Deep Silver, is the one developing it. Now, it's made up of a group of experienced developers. They created the Time Splitter series. They worked on Crytek or uh, Crisis. They were with Crytek. They were once Crytek UK before they became Dan Busters. Most of those people got absorbed by Deep Silver. And now they're working on this game. So they got some experience. They did have a flop with Hayes. But they got some experience. Would you be okay with that? And they're taking it in a whole different direction. And they're being upfront about it. I don't get the sense that they're goading fans on and poking them like, ha, we're changing it. I don't get that the sense at all. But I get the sense that, look, we're doing something different. I mean, you think about what it was before. And it felt a lot like crisis in a lot of ways. But, I mean, that's that's kind of what happens when a certain studio develops something. It starts putting their own flavor on it. You look at all the Ubisoft games. They all have the same open-worldish type of feel. Assassin's Creed, The Crew, Watch Dogs, Far Cry. They all have this open world, you can go wherever you want, and there's a whole bunch of objectives to do type of feel. That's Ubisoft's style. And then Crisis gets their hands on Homefront and Homefront develops this crisis like feel to it. And now Dan Busters gets a hold of it. And we don't know what their feel is. We don't know what their style is. We just know, okay, these guys created Time Splitters. They worked on Crisis. Their last game that they worked on was Warface, which I mean the name of it alone is ridiculous. But it was okay. There were people who enjoyed it. But it wasn't a critical success. It didn't blow up. But they do have experience in creating hits. They do. So are you okay with that? If you're not a Homefront fan, What if this happened with another franchise that you liked? Let's just throw one out there. 343 Studios taking over Halo. Brand new studio headed up by some experienced developers who did work on Halo. And then they released Halo 4, which some people liked. A lot of people who spent a lot of time with Halo... Not super huge fans of it. The Master Chief Collection comes out. Pretty broken. Halo 5 comes out. Not bad. Not bad at all. You could say the same thing with Bungie and Activision. Granted, the situation is a little different. Bungie is an established studio. Activision is an established publisher. But they signed a contract with a whole new type of publisher. You could tell the culture of Bungie changed. 
and you could feel that Destiny was not exactly what it could have been. What about Uncharted? Right, the original, all three writers, Neil Druckmann and all of them, can't remember the names off the top of my head, but they let Old Girl go. Rumor has it they forced her out. Are you confident that Uncharted will be the same game that you knew? The same flavor. Now, they had great success with The Last of Us. They did a really good job with that. So, yes, I would not blame you if you had confidence that Uncharted 4 would end up being a fantastic story. But this is happening in more than just Homefront. It's just happening in different ways. Elzora brings up an interesting point. He says, that's about the only hope I've got of seeing a sequel to my favorite game of the last gen. Because EA killed Pandemic Studios. So if Mercenaries 3 is coming, it'll come from a whole different studio. But would you trust that entirely different studio to do Mercenaries 3 right? That's the question. I don't know. We pick a pick a studio. I don't know. A brand new studio made up of experienced developers under a certain publisher. I mean, Deep Silver has a decent track record. They do, they've done Saints Row and they've done a good job with it. Saints Row is popular. I mean, if I were to put Mercenaries Three under somebody, I would probably put it under the developers who do Just Cause. But would they do a good job with it? And under the same context, they're not a new developer necessarily. So I don't know. It's it's really interesting. It's interesting that they put it out there the way they did. They just, <laughs> just threw it out there. Hey, we're making changes. This is not the home front that you remember. We're just using the brand. It's kind of like for fans, it's like, well, do I want to play this home front then? Because all you're in now is wait and see mode. And that's not fun as a fan. So it's interesting that they put that out there like that. I mean, I don't know if I would not say anything. Because then you start releasing trailers and gameplay videos. And then just say, well, this doesn't look like Homefront. At least you know now it's not going to be the Homefront that you remembered. But it, at least it's going to take the same premise. Like, oh, Halo is taking an entirely different direction. We hope you like it. It's like, well, uh, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I'm kind of scared. Like, I feel like you shouldn't be scaring your fans. I don't know. This just sounds off. Zero says, I have no choice concerning Mercenaries 3. It either gets a sequel or it doesn't. And it's true. Some games are in that boat. But Homefront, I mean, it did okay. I wouldn't say it deserves an extension. Like Mirror's Edge, that game wasn't super critically acclaimed. But its concept was so unique, it deserved to be expanded upon because there was no other game like it. 
And it was like, let's have more of this. Let's see where this could go. Mercenaries, I wouldn't say it seems that uh, shares that same nature. There's just some games, just they just naturally exude like, please give me more. Not because it's great, but just because the premise is so good. Homefront, I would say also, doesn't necessarily share that kind of feel as Mirror's Edge. Just my thoughts, but that's the way I feel about that. The song is The Pantheon by Jesper Keed. You can find it on Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, which is available on something.com. S-U-M-T-H-I-N-G. Something.com. You're listening to Progress Bar. That is the Pantheon by Jesper Keed. You can find that on the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood original soundtrack available on something.com. S-U-M-T-H-I-N-G something.com. That will do it for today. 
Thank you for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes. Reading the chat, trying to see what is Zero is talking about. I don't know what mercenaries POFD is. That acronym doesn't uh, ring a bell. So I hope you have a great Monday. It's good to be broadcasting today. I will be meeting with my mentor on Wednesday, but I'm going to broadcast a little earlier. I'm going to broadcast at 9.30 on Wednesday, 9.30 Pacific Time. I figure I probably won't be able to talk as much about certain topics because I won't have as much prep time, but I figure do a show. I still want to give you all a show, so I figured that's that's the best way to go, to give you to give you something. So 9.30 Pacific Time on Wednesday. I'll put it up on the Spreaker schedule once I am finished with the show. So you just just so you know. Remember, you can leave a voicemail, speakpipe.com slash progress bar. Leave me a voicemail about any of the topics we talked about today. Anything else you want to talk about, you can also send me a message on Skype. If I'm not on, you can leave me a voicemail there. That works too. So I hope you have a great Monday. Thank you for joining the chat, fellas. And thank you for tuning in. I will talk to you later.